Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to this time of our service today, Lord, as we dig into your word, Lord, I pray that you would turn our hearts to hear from you. And Lord, as we talk about this subject of contentment, Lord, I pray as we live in a world that is discontent, that, Lord, you would work in us a spirit of contentment. Lord, may we be content in the Lord. So that as the people of this world look at us, and see the joy that we have in you. It might be a testimony to your love, your grace, and your provision in our lives, turning hearts to Christ. And this I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Philippians. We're continuing on this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. About to wrap up Philippians. Uh, we'll be in it this week. Next week we have the Lord's Supper but then we'll return and finish the uh, Philippians the week after that. So then move on from there, see where the Lord leads us. So. Today we are talking about, as we're looking at discovering joy, how do we find joy? How do we discover lasting, true, lasting joy in our lives as we follow after Christ? That's Paul's concern here. And today as he, he begins to, he ends this letter to this church in Philippi, he shows another key to lasting joy, and that is contentment. Contentment, to learn to be content, to know the joy of true contentment in the Lord. So that's our subject matter this morning. If you would stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in, in any and every circumstance... I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Revenge, lust, Ambition, pride, and self-will are too often exalted as the gods of man's idolatry, while holiness, peace, contentment, and humility are viewed as unworthy of a serious thought. Carl Spurgeon. We think about Mr. Spurgeon's words there. We have to realize that uh, those words are timeless, though he spoke them many, many, many years ago. 
they really play to our world today and our time today. Revenge, lust, ambition, pride, self-will, those are the gods of our day. As Paul even addressed this issue, he's already shown us that selfish ambition, that is a driver, a motivator, a god of every age. And it's a motivator of our age. It's a god of our age. But... The thing about selfish ambition is that selfish ambition will never last. It never provides lasting joy. Never. It never provides lasting joy. It's always something else to accomplish. Something else to achieve. But as we will see today, as we look at this passage, true joy is discovered when we discover the joy of Contentment. When we learn how to be content in the Lord, no matter what we have, no matter where we are, no matter what station of life. So in today's passage, this passage here in Philippians, we, we seek the key to contentment. And what we will find here is this, trust in Christ Seek the expansion of His kingdom and put others first and you will discover the joy of contentment. Let me say that again. Trust in Christ. Seek the expansion of His kingdom and put others first and you will discover the joy of contentment. So then as we work through this passage, begin to look at this passage and work through it, we see that if we are to discover lasting joy, the joy of contentment, we must first put the needs of others above our own. We must put the needs of others above our own. Look at what Paul says here as he opens up this paragraph. I rejoiced. Here again is that word that Paul has used over and over again throughout this letter. And now he says, I rejoiced. He's revealing to us something that has brought him joy. Even while he is imprisoned there in Rome. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he rejoiced in the fact that this church, this beloved church of his, has been able to renew their concern for him. They, they, had, they, they had been concerned, they'd always been concerned, but they had no opportunity. Paul was in prison in Rome. Here they are hundreds of miles away in Philippi. How do we get our love offering, the supplies that, that we need to get to Paul so we, we can just reveal our love to him. How can we get it there to him? So now he says, you've been able to, to recognize your concern. It, it bringing, it's bringing fruit. They're putting Paul's needs up above their own so that he can be provided for. 
So if we want to know the joy of contentment, we must put the needs of others above our own. We need to notice something here, that selfishness is never satisfied. Selfishness, when we talk about putting other people's needs before our own, there's, there's, there's an objective, uh, objection to that that we need to confront, and that is that objection of selfishness. Well, well what do I care about them? I got my own problems. I have my own needs to take care of. But here's the thing about selfishness. Selfishness is never, ever, ever, ever satisfied. If all of your focus is on you, and that's all, all of your concern, then you will never, ever be satisfied. Think about the example that we have in Scripture. I, I think about King Saul. King Saul, back there in the Old Testament. You think about King Saul. King Saul had it all. Right? He, he came from the, the least of the tribes of Israel, yet God brought him up and put him in a place of power in Israel. He made him king over all of Israel. Here's this little farm boy, and he's been made king of Israel. He had all the power of Israel. He had all of Israel standing behind him. He had all the wealth of Israel. Yet, when the mighty warrior David came on the scene and the people began to recognize the, the great deeds of, of David and they began to sing praises to David, David who was loyal to Saul, he was going out winning these battles in the name of King Saul. Yet, when the people cheered on David, Saul was not satisfied. He became jealous. He had everything. Even the loyalty of this great warrior, David. But he wanted all the praise. He wanted all the glory. Because he was selfish. He didn't care about the, the people of Israel. He didn't care about David. But my pride is not being built up. He was selfish. And selfishness never satisfies. It is never satisfied. He couldn't be satisfied with all that he had, so he began to pursue David, the mighty warrior who went out and, and had victory in battle for Saul. He began to pursue him and even tried to kill him. When our own self-interest is what drives us, then we're never going to be satisfied. We're going to see that even more as we work through this. But we, Paul has already kind of addressed this even in this book. Back there in uh, chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, he, he, go, he says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many whom, of whom have often whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ their end destruction is destruction their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things you see when our God is our belly we're never satisfied your belly is never satisfied is it 
How many people had their fill of breakfast this morning? But at 12 o'clock, you're going to want to be somewhere else refilling your belly, aren't you? Because you might fill your belly, but your belly is going to get hungry again. Our belly is never satisfied. And that's the thing about selfish desires and selfish wants. When our focus is on self, we are never satisfied. We're never satisfied. We're going to want more and more and more. Selfishness is never satisfied, but selflessness, selflessness discovers contented joy. Selflessness. When we, we think less of ourselves, when we count others more significant than ourselves, then the, th- the strange thing is, we think it's the other way around, but the strange thing is, when we begin to put other people's needs above our own, we find that in that we have contented joy. There's peace in that. There's joy in providing for others and seeing others thrive. You think about the situation here with Paul. There's this mutual concern from one another, isn't it? Now, well, we've already seen how the Philippians, they've been concerned for Paul and they're sending him this, this provisions through Epaphroditus. Get his name out. But now, what about Paul, though? Look at what it says there uh, as he continues on there in verse 11. Not that I am uh, speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation to be content. And then skip down to verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So even as Paul, as he, he's receiving this gift from the Philippians, his concern is not the gift. Oh yeah, give me what you owe me. His concern is, oh, thank you. Because I want to see your fruit increase. I want to see the blessings of the Lord increase as, as you are, are showing the fruit of Christ in your life. He doesn't care about the provisions. He's learned whatever situation I'm in, I'm content. The Lord has taught me the secret of having plenty and need, all of that stuff. I'm content. I'm thankful. Because this shows that that Christ is working in your life. And not only that, but now you're going to reap the blessings, the rewards for your sacrifice for the kingdom. You see, selflessness, selflessness, when we serve others and think about others, the beautiful reality of the matter is when we put other people's needs before our own, we find contentment and joy. The strange thing, isn't it? That's contrary to what the world teaches us. Now we're going to have to see how we, we come there and we're working towards that, but we need to know put, to put other people's needs above our own, we can find the joy of contentment. Well, another way that we discover the joy of contentment is to seek gospel expansion over personal gain. To seek gospel expansion over personal gain. Again, 
Contrary to our world, isn't it? When the world tells us you need to go out and be your own man, be your own woman, you need to strive for, you need to dream big and and pursue your dreams above anything else, right? You be your own person, you pursue your own dreams, let that be what drives you in life. That's, That's the world, right? That's what our world tells us, that's what the world teaches us, preaches to us, but yet we see here that if we seek gospel expansion over and above our own gain, over our own ambitions, then we know the joy of contentment. Look what Paul says here. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, as we dig into this, and we're going to have to dig into this a little bit, but as we begin to dig in this, I want to note one thing, one truth that we need to, to make clear. Wealth is not a sin, nor is poverty a sign of sainthood. We need to make sure that we understand that. Wealth is not a sin. Poverty is not a sign of sainthood. You're not more of a saint because you live in poverty than you are evil if you have lots of wealth. That's not what Scripture teaches us. Scripture tells us that God provides for others and blesses some to to make more so that they can provide more for the kingdom. That's the glory of it. But wealth is not, a, is not a sin, nor is poverty a sign of sainthood. Paul had both ends of the spectrum here. He knew how to live in abundance. Uh, as we look at his life, it, it reveals to us that most likely, as Paul was raised up and he, was, he lived in Tarsus, his family was from Tarsus, which was way up north from Jerusalem, but his family had the money to send him down to Jerusalem and study under the, one of the big teachers of his day. Most likely, Paul came from a pretty wealthy family. He was a tent maker in an age where everybody had a tent. He was probably a pretty, pretty uh, wealthy businessman as well. So he's known how to have an abundance, and he's now in prison where he has absolutely nothing. He's depending upon other people to bring him what he needs, provide for his needs. He knows the both ends of the spectrum. He doesn't say that either end is, is more sinful or more saintly. But the key is to be content in whatever station of life you're in. We need to notice here, though, when personal gain is our goal, we will never find satisfaction. Kind of like the last one when selfish, with selfishness, right? When personal gain is our goal, that's our main driver in life, we will never find satisfaction. Never find satisfaction. When what drives us in life is to to get more, achieve more, accomplish more, we're never going to find a level of satisfaction. John D. Rockefeller was once the richest man in the world. And one time a reporter asked him, how much money, Mr. John, how much money is enough money? And John D. Rockefeller said, just a little bit more. 
Here's the richest man in the world. No one has more riches than this guy. And he says, I just need a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. You see, that's the way it is. When we strive for personal gain, when that's our objective, when that's what we we live for and long for, we're never going to find enough. We're never going to have enough. We're never going to have enough to be satisfied because when we get up to that level, there's going to be another level that we see that we we could climb to. When personal gain is the driver of our lives, we're never going to find satisfaction. Now, understand, this is, this is not a plea to, to be lazy. It's not a plea to, to not set goals and pursue them. Paul had goals. You go back there and read in, in the book of Acts, and as Paul goes out on his second missionary journey, Paul had the goal he wanted to go after he, he kind of revived the churches and encouraged the churches he went to on his first missionary journey. He had a goal of he wanted to go up north to some other areas and regions. That was his goal. That was his aim, his ambition. But when he started to go up there, the Holy Spirit said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Paul, I don't want you to go there yet. God forbid him to go where he wanted to go. He had goals. But God forbid it. But what did Paul do? Did he go home and kick the dog? No. He prayed. All right, you don't, want, you don't want that for me? You don't want me to accomplish that goal? You don't want me to pursue that? What, what do you have for me? Paul, when he wrote to the, to, to the Romans, he ended, I, I, I plan on coming to you, and I want to be, I want to, you know, have time with you, worship with you, and, and then I'm going to go on up to Spain where I can preach the gospel where the gospel has never been preached. But what happened to Paul. Before all of that happened, he got arrested in Jerusalem. Yeah, he made it to Rome, but he, he made it to Rome in chains, and now he is in prison. He had a goal. He had a pursuit. But when God had other plans for him, he didn't get all broken up about it because his pursuits, his life ambition was not his main focus in life. When personal gain is our goal, we will never be satisfied. Think about this. If our heart is set on temporary things like worldly wealth or worldly positions, then our heart can only be temporarily satisfied. But, Here's the beautiful thing. But when gospel expansion is our goal, we have the desires of our hearts. When gospel expansion, when when that's our focus and that's our main driver, when we want to see the gospel reach to the ends of the earth and, and that's what we want. Lord, help me to, to make more, to earn more so that I can provide more for your kingdom. Help me to accomplish in life so that I can be a better influencer in our world for your kingdom. Help me to, to climb the ladder and uh, you know, run for this office, this political office. Help me to get here so I can be a greater influence for your kingdom. When the kingdom is our focus, then our hearts will always be satisfied. 
That's exactly what Paul has here. He is in prison, yet he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Yeah, I wanted to, to go on and leave Rome and go to Spain, but that's not what God had planned. God had a much better plan for me. And now here I am in prison. And as we see at the end of this letter, there in verse 22, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. How do you think the people in Caesar's household got to know the gospel? Because Paul was there in chains, and he was preaching the gospel to everyone he came into contact with. God had a better plan. You see, so when we're, our focus is on our gain and our pursuits, our personal pursuits in life, when, when we're denied something, when we don't accomplish something, then we get crushed. But when we're pursuing God, and we're pursuing His kingdom, we'll have the desires of our hearts. He's going to let us get involved. He's going to let us see progress. He's going to let us see accomplishment. Psalm 37.4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So, we must put the needs of others above our own if we want to know the joy of contentment. We must also seek gospel expansion over our own personal gain. But here's the secret here. You see, we can't, we will never be able to truly put other people's needs above our very own, nor will we be able to pursue kingdom expansion over our own personal gain unless we get this last one right. Unless this last one, this third one, this third point, unless it's in play, we will never understand the joy of contentment no matter what we do. We want to understand the joy and, uh, and know the, the lasting joy of true contentment. Third, we must trust in Christ's strength over your own strength. You must trust in Christ's strength before, uh, over and above your own strength. Here Paul ends this paragraph with, I can do all things through Him, through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, this is not just a, a, a slogan for the basketball team. That's really not the context it's in at all. We kind of like to throw this verse around and use it for whatever. I'm, we can be champions at the football game if we have our strength in Christ. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Paul is in prison. He's in prison. Contemplating the fact that he might lose his head. He's not worried about who's going to win a ball game or not win a ball game. His focus is, here, is this. I can face whatever situations. I can face whatever circumstances life throws at me. I can abound with, with much or I can be content with little. Whatever it is that God has for me, I can be content in it because of this. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Distrust is the root of anxiety. 
Distrust is the root of anxiety. It's the, the, the root of discontentment. And it absolutely, positively destroys all joy. If Paul was here worried about where his next meal would come from, how could he have joy and contentment? But he understands what Jesus was preaching back there on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, you remember there, said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to put on. Don't worry about the necessities of this life. Don't you know that God, that your Father, He provides, he provides uh, food for the birds of the air? Don't you know He clothes the lilies of the valley? Yet all of these things He provides for, but here you are, one who bears His very image. How much more is He going to provide for you? I'm paraphrasing. Isn't that the truth? Why do we worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to put on? Why do we worry about the things of this life? We know that God loves us. He sent His Son to die for us so that we could have everlasting life. How can we sit here and, and live in anxiety worrying about the, the, our needs, our basic needs of life? God will provide. But if we don't trust God, then we're never going to find contentment. We're never going to find peace. We're never truly going to find joy. Also, when you think about that, when you think about all these other things, if we have a position in, in life of, say, a naturalistic position, natural, naturalistic worldview, and you think about the naturalist worldview. A naturalist says that, that we are just, you know, kind of an accident, right? We're, we're from this ooze that came up, and, and we came, and we evolved. And so uh, there is no God, but we are just what we are. There's this life, and then there's nothing else after that. Well, if that's your worldview, then, yeah, you, you shouldn't be content. I mean, this, if this is it, if this is all there is, eat, drink, and be merry, or tomorrow we die. Strive for, be selfish, because that's the way it is. Survival of the fittest, so be selfish. Provide for yourself, don't worry about anybody else. And there is no kingdom, so why worry about the kingdom? Just provide about your, be worried about your own kingdom, if that's our view. But that view has no hope for the future. With that view, there's no joy. Because even with that view, all that you gain in life, in the end, is going to be someone else's and you're going to be worm food. But Christianity provides the hope. If we trust in Christ... then we understand the key of life. Trust in Christ is the key in life. You see, Christianity says this, that we do believe that we're not just an accident that happened. That we look at the evidence of, of creation and we see the evidence that there is a creator, an intelligent creator who created us. 
And Scripture tells us that that Creator is the living God who created us and made us in His image and His likeness. And though we rebelled against that Creator, He still loved us. He loved us in such a way that He didn't think about His needs. He did not count equality with God a thing to be clung on to, to be grasped. But in humility, He came and He was, became one of us. He lived a life that we could never live and He bore the burden that we could never bear. That we could have life. If God would give us His Son to ensure our everlasting life. And why can't we put other people's needs above our own, trusting God that will provide for our needs? Why can't we be more concerned about kingdom expansion so that other people can come into the kingdom and know God and know Christ and know the salvation that He has for them? Why can't we be more concerned about His kingdom's expansion than anything that we have? Nothing that we have will ever compare to what we already have in Christ. A dear friend, You'll never know the peace and the joy of contentment unless you begin to trust in Christ. Truly trust in Him. Dear friend, discover the joy of contentment in your own life. Discover the joy of true contentment in your own life by discovering the joy of trusting in, resting in Jesus Christ. Augustine once said, Our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until our hearts can find rest in you, in you, Christ. That's, that's his point. And that's the truth. In this world, in this life, we will never find contentment. We will never find joy as long as the focus of our joy is on ourselves. As long as we live for the temporary as long as we, we focus on, on selfish ambition and selfish conceit, we'll never understand joy. But when we see Christ, trust in Christ, and live for Christ, that's when we discover rest. He's the one who makes us whole. He's the one who makes us complete. He is the ultimate provider who has provided everything for us, even eternal life. Do you trust Him today? There are some here today who don't trust in Christ. You're struggling with this because you worry about where, you, where your next meal is going to come from. You're worried about selfish things. You're worried about putting, you know, making it in the world. There's one thing to do, to look to Christ. 
You want to know joy of satisfaction, the joy of contentment? Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Heavenly Father, in a world of discontentment, oh, how we are tempted to always be discontent. But Lord, Your Word shows us that all the vain things that we pursue in this life that we think are going to bring us joy, that we think we're going to be happy with, we think is going to bring contentment, we find when we get them that they mean nothing. Because ultimately, Lord, we're trying to fill a hole in our heart that can only be filled by You. Father, there's some here today that are struggling with this. They're struggling to find joy. They're struggling to find peace and contentment. Oh, Father, open their eyes and let them see Jesus so that they may find peace and rest. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.